Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. I hope uh, this week's episode is one that you will be able to use as ammunition in some uh, social media arguments. Not that I only release my episodes hoping that you all share links to them when people make false economic claims on Twitter or Facebook or other social media. But that probably helps get the podcast more downloads. So I wouldn't mind if you did that one bit. What I am saying is that this is one of those episodes where when someone says something really dumb online, instead of taking 20 minutes to explain why they are wrong, You can just send a link to this episode and call it done. So really, I'm helping you all when I release episodes like this because you are saving time by sharing the link to the episode instead of having to type out why that person is wrong about this or that point of economics or scripture or both. And speaking of sharing the podcast episode and social media, Now, that was a segue that a bad radio show host could be proud of. Make sure you like this week's episode on the podcast catcher you're using and share it on social media as well. Not just sharing the link in response to other people's bad arguments, but also sharing my posts on all the social media sites to help get the message out there even more. Now, back to the topic at hand. And someone is thinking right now that we're like, two minutes into this episode and there hasn't even been a topic at hand yet just a bunch of meandering so back to what is about to be the topic at hand this week we are answering the question can you be rich and christian can you be rich and christian Some people like to take certain passages out of context to argue that the rich are always wrong and that God is against the rich. People like Ron Sider and James Cone are ones who have probably done a lot to help this view become prevalent. But is their idea the biblical view? Does the Bible teach us that the rich are immoral simply because they are rich? Let's look at some case examples in the Bible and then some other passages that are general statements about riches. First, let's look at some of the case examples in Scripture as it pertains to wealthy people. As a theonomist, you know I love case examples, but we aren't looking at the case law of the Old Testament this time. We are looking at case examples of wealthy people in the Scripture and seeing what God had to say about them. So let's look first at someone from the first book of the Bible, Abraham. What does Moses teach us about Abraham's wealth? Let's look at scripture. Look at what scripture has to say about Abraham in Genesis chapter 13 verses 2 through 7. And I am reading from the New American Standard Bible 1995 edition. 
Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. We see here that Abraham was so rich that the land could not stand having he and Lot both live in the same area. The two of them had to spread out away from each other because they had too much livestock and too many servants. But the story continues as Abimelech in Genesis 20 gives Abraham silver and sheep and oxen and servants, making Abraham even richer than he was before. And since Isaac was Abraham's son and his heir, it makes sense that Isaac would also be rich, adding another person to the list of righteous rich people in the Bible. And if I wanted to, I could probably spend a lot more time on Abraham and then after him Isaac here, because there's a lot of statements in passing in Genesis about how rich they were. So I guess we could say that Father Abraham had much money, and much money had Father Abraham. Actually, we can only say the former, because saying much money had Father Abraham would sound like he's an idolater, and he is uh, sinful with his great income and great riches. But the entire thing we're showing here is that someone can be rich without idolizing their money or being sinful with it, etc. So Father Abraham had much money. We'll leave it at that. Now let's look at a second person, one mentioned in the same narratives that teach us about Abraham. Let's look at Lot. We're going to look again at a few verses we already read today, Genesis 13 verses 5 through 7. So once again, they read, Now Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So not only was Uncle Abraham very wealthy, nephew Lot was very wealthy as well. God is making multiple believers in Abraham's family wealthy. The father, the nephew, the son, the grandson Jacob. But Lot was a horrible guy, you say. He lived in Sodom, after all. Well, let's hold on for a second. Lot did a lot of wrong things, and he was by no means as much of a man of God as his uncle, Abraham. But what does scripture say to us about Lot? In Genesis 19.1, we see that Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom, which leads us to believe that he was a judge of the city because judgments were given and cases were settled at the gate of the city. This idea is confirmed by the men of Sodom themselves who said, Already he is acting like a judge, in verse 9. So Lot was at least a good enough man to quickly be respected in Sodom and elevated to a judge in the city. But you don't have to be 
a very great person to be good by the standards of the people of Sodom. So that may not be a good example. You may be thinking that point still stands about Lot not being an example of someone can be rich without being grossly immoral for the fact that they are rich. So let's look. Are there any other places in scripture that talk about Lot and how positive he was, what a good person he was? And in fact, there is one. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, Peter refers to righteous Lot and how he was oppressed by the sin that went on in Sodom. Now, Lot's righteousness was not inherent in himself, but only because of his faith in God, just like all of ours. But scripture still refers to him as a righteous man, and he was rich. So righteous men can be rich. And if you try to respond, well, scripture only refers to him as a righteous person after he fled Sodom and became poor because he had to leave all his goods behind. Well, you see, Second uh, Peter chapter 2 refers to righteous Lot who was oppressed by the city, which means righteous Lot who still lived in Sodom, which means righteous Lot before he left Sodom. So you can't use that as an argument there. Next, let's look at another Old Testament giant. King David, the man after God's own heart. A website I found, and I will throw the URL into the description of this video, estimates that what David dedicated to God and to the building of the temple, specifically the thousands of talents of gold and silver, and each talent weighs probably about 75 pounds, and all the precious stones, wood, and brass, it all probably would be worth around $200 billion today. Not $2 million, not $200 million, not $2 billion, $200 billion with a B dollars today is probably the, in today's terms, value of what David donated to the building of the temple and then dedicated to God over and above what he donated to the building of the temple. To put that into perspective, I looked up the richest men in the world today, and not a single one of them, not even Bezos or Elon Musk, were worth that much money. And that is what David gave to God, not to mention what he kept for himself and for an inheritance to his children, and his children's children, because that is the verse I used to open up this show after all. Hopefully David gave an inheritance to his grandchildren as well even if that verse from Proverbs 13 wasn't written until after he died. So David was a very rich man with a net worth that, in today's terms, would probably be over double Warren Buffett's net worth. Then we have David's son, Solomon. Solomon was likely just as rich, if not more rich, than his father. 2 Chronicles 9, 13, and 14 teach us that in one year alone, 666 talents of gold were brought to Solomon, not to mention the gold that the traders and merchants brought and sold to him. And even that is not to mention all of the gold that kings and governors of Arabia and the other nearby lands brought to Solomon. All of that just in those two verses. 
And this makes sense because in 1 Kings 3.13, God tells Solomon that he would have riches and honor above all the other kings in his day. Now Solomon did turn away from God and was swayed into paganism and polytheism. But that does not neglect the fact that God blessed this man while he was still obedient to God. Also, as far as we can tell, Solomon's riches were not in and of themselves what led him astray. It was the foreign wives he took. Now these foreign wives may have come because Solomon was making treaties with other nations in an effort to get more riches. But I'm not saying that the lust for riches is fine here. I am saying that the riches in and of themselves are not sinful. Of course one can sinfully desire and idolize riches. Just like one can uh, do something like that with any of God's good gifts. Such as how a good desire for food can turn into sinful gluttony. Also, I believe, although there are others who would disagree with me, that Solomon repented later in life and turned back to God and then he penned the book Ecclesiastes. Maybe that is just the fundamentalism that I grew up in coming out. And I'll change my view on this later, but that's where I stand right now. Solomon repented later in life. And so therefore, at the end of his life, he was a righteous man with his faith in God and was at that point still a rich man. Now, all of these examples so far have been from the Old Testament. But I want to quickly mention one person in the New Testament who appears to have been quite wealthy. Lydia in Acts 16. She was a seller of purple, an expensive fabric worn by the wealthy, and she owned a house large enough that Paul and his companions stayed there. Also, she was likely a widow since her husband is not mentioned, but her occupation and her house are. So she was likely wealthy to be able to support herself as a single woman in the first century. And apparently, she did so quite nicely. So those are the case examples of righteous, rich people in scripture that I wanted to look at. And that is by no means an exhaustive list that just highlights some of the big names. But now I want to look at scriptures that are not case examples of individuals, but general statements about riches. The first passage I want to look at is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. It reads, It is the blessing of Yahweh that makes rich, and he adds no pain with it. And by the way, this is from the Legacy Standard Bible, not the NASB 1995, as you may have noticed by God's covenant name being used. So this verse teaches us that it is the blessing of God that makes one rich. But it goes further than that and tells us that God adds no pain with those riches. We know there are times when riches do bring pain. How many lottery winners ended up bankrupt or close to it within a year? But that doesn't mean that scripture is wrong here. It is just restricting when the riches are a blessing. Not all riches are a blessing of God, such as the case I just mentioned with a lottery winner who squanders the money and ends up even more poor than he was before. Those riches are not a blessing from God. In fact, I would say they are a curse from God, a judgment from God, 
and that the person's lack of discipline in using them rightly displays the fact that they were a judgment from God on the person. In fact, their lack of discipline may have been the reason for that judgment of God. But I have had the privilege of having several friends who are quite wealthy believers. These men are self-disciplined, they take care of their families, they're generous with their money, and they volunteer at their church and or Christian nonprofits. These would be the kind of people who fall into the category of Proverbs 10.22. They are blessed by God with riches, and he added no pain with their riches. They didn't idolize their wealth. They kept their eyes on God, whether the bank account had only a zero or a one with a lot of zeros behind it. And this is very true of at least one of these men because he was older than I am right now and living out of his car before he started the company that made him so wealthy. All right, let's look at two more verses from Proverbs and then close the episode. And for those of you wondering about Bible verses that condemn riches, we will get there. And in fact, we vaguely touched on that while we were talking about riches that have pain added with them and are judgments rather than blessings a moment ago. But anyways, back to Proverbs. In 15.6 we read, The house of the righteous has much treasure, but in the income of the wicked there is trouble. This teaches us that there is treasure in the house of the righteous, but even the income of the wicked involves trouble. That comparison there seems to support the concept I was just discussing of the judgment rather than the blessing of riches that come with pain. The wicked have income, but it brings trouble. Contrasted with that, the house of the righteous has much treasure. Not just treasure, but much treasure. Now, I am sure this includes both material and spiritual treasure, such as a peaceful home, sanctification, love for God among family members, and love for each other, etc. But it has to at least include material treasures because the second half of that verse, which is a contrast to the first half, talks about the income of the wicked. And I'll tell you what, if you have much treasure in your house, I would say you're probably rich. Sure, in America today, many people who are barely middle class could be described as having much treasure. But take this into account. The biblical foundations that much of our society was built upon, no matter how much we're rejecting them today, much of our society was still built upon them, they got us to a place where our middle class are outrageously rich by the standards of most of history, and also by the standards of many parts of the world still today. And yes, I know there are many believers in Christ, believers much closer to God and much further along in their sanctification than I am, who have little material wealth, perhaps because they live in nations where the persecution is severe. That is because this verse is not a magical formula Otherwise, it would be more like the prosperity gospel. This verse teaches us that typically God blessed those who live their lives to honor him, either by special providence to bless them or by living a life to God's glory, probably leads you 
to good habits like the Protestant work ethic that tend to result in more income. And often I think it is because of both of those, not just one or the other. Now let's look at the last verse that we will cover in this episode. Proverbs 22.4 It reads, The reward of humility, the fear of Yahweh, are riches, glory, and life. Humility and the fear of God, although this verse seems to be more restating them as the same thing than counting them as two separate things in a list, these two things have a reward, and that reward is riches and glory and life. There's a lot I could say about this verse, but a lot of it would be more or less repeating what I just said about 15.6. So I'm going to leave it at reading the verse and letting the pile of verses I just stacked up fall upon you and show you their weight. Now, about passages of scripture that condemn riches, I don't want to ignore those. If I did, someone convinced by what I said in this episode could walk away thinking that scripture contradicts itself. Or I could be accused of picking and choosing what parts of the Bible I believe although I would much rather be lied about and mocked than lead someone to question the inerrancy of Scripture. I do plan to address those things, and I meant to do so in this episode, but I try to keep this episode to somewhere around 20 or 25 minutes, or at least I pretend to try to because I do seem to go over quite a bit. But in trying to keep it to that much, I couldn't address those things in the few minutes I have left, so... I'm just going to save that and do an entire podcast episode on that next week. So make sure you subscribe to the feed. That way, next Friday, you can listen to my episode going into condemnations of wealth and the wealthy in scripture and how those passages do not contradict what I have said today. Also, there was a bit of a hint about what the answer in next week's episode will be in this week's episode. Call it intentional foreshadowing if you want. I'll just call it God's providence. And hey, if you're listening to this episode in the future, more than a week away from when it's being released, then you can go ahead and listen to that second episode right now because they'll both already be up. So thanks for listening to this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh you